0: Publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building in Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Now, their school year is starting up, and as always these days, we have to worry about school safety. It's a huge issue. There are school shootings that uh, hit the headlines, it seems, every year, and we're going to talk about... How Indiana students and faculty and staff can keep themselves – can be kept safe in this time of increased danger. Um, So we will be talking today with three different people, three people, two here in the studio, and one is joining us by phone. Keith Gamble is vice president of the Indiana State Teachers Association. Julie Slavens is staff attorney for the Indiana School Boards Association. And Adam Baker is joining us by phone. He's the Press Secretary at the Indiana Department of Education. If you have questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also join us uh, online, news at org, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition so welcome to everybody keith welcome welcome back thank you very much had, had you on a show with a similar uh, similar issue before unfortunately we have to talk about school safety and it seems like every year there is a, a school shooting or or something along mm-hmm. those lines that, that uh, bring this issue back to the headlines so i wanted to start i guess let's start with adam baker adam thanks for joining us by phone um, in the Department of Education, I mean, how how do you go about sort of addressing this issue of school safety? What can be done at the state level?
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, this opportunity. It's obviously a very important topic, uh, not just mm-hmm. in our nation, but around the state. Um, I would say it's probably one of the biggest priorities that we have as a department uh, every day when we're addressing the needs of schools uh, and the needs of our students and how we sort of combine those um, and that school safety, Um, I think one of the biggest things that you're going to see here, uh, even next in the next few weeks, is the school safety report uh, that ourselves, along with DHS, FSSA, the Criminal Justice Institute, as well as various other uh, organizations and agencies have been working on to provide recommendations to the governor. Um, and those recommendations will run the gamut from mental health support uh, to legislatively speaking to fiscally speaking um, and it'll just be an opportunity to kind of holistically look at what is it that we can do more to work with schools and what is it that schools can do right now and implement in the real time to help keep their children safe.
0: Can you give us just a little bit more background on on the report? Who's been working on it and for how long?
1: Absolutely. So um, understand that school safety is one of our charges. Uh, we actually have a director of school building security um, who's been that director for about the past 20 years. And so working with school safety um, is one of our charges, something we do day in and day out. Uh, however, at the beginning of this year, the government, uh, the governor asked that we would get together with DHS, so Homeland Security, that we would get together with the Family and Social Services Agency, um, as well as Criminal Justice Institute. Uh, those are some of the, the big players and basically work together on recommendations that we could present to him that, that he could look at as a governor, that he could uh, kind of, you know, gnaw on and decide, you know, what are some things that we can get going right now? What are some legislative charges that I can put in front of myself? Um, and so that report was submitted to him on August 1st. And I know that he has it and his team is looking it over right now. And they will release that report soon. But I know they, you know, they want to get their eyes on it first and, kind of get an idea of what sort of things, you know, again, can happen right now, what sort of things we can look at down the line, what sort of things need legislative guidance and so forth.
0: From a uh, teacher standpoint, Keith Gamble from the the vice president of the Indiana State Teachers Association. Keith, what do you hope to see out of that report?
2: Well, I hope that we really focus in on the needs of students. Uh, Our students deserve to know that they can go to school in a safe environment. But we want to make sure that we have resources available for those students in need and for those students who know students in need. Um, If I'm two decades plus in middle school, you, you only have to stop one student in the hallway and you know much about what's going on in the building. So we want to make sure that we're building relationships with these students so that we know what's going on and we're able to get... Uh, resources to those students in need. Um, When we look at many of these events, almost all of them are from a student who attended that school. So we know where to start. It isn't a masked bandit that wanders into the building, though we certainly want to make sure that doesn't happen as well. But uh, that if that is – if we know – that about where it's beginning let's try to prevent that now there are some things with securing the buildings we certainly want to make sure that we're taking every action that we can but we also at the same time want to make sure that the that those facilities remain a welcoming environment a nurturing environment for the students
0: And, Julie, from a, from a school board association <laughs> yeah. point of view, I know there are certain things that you probably have to do these days, but, <laughs> but uh, just sort of give us an overview from your perspective.
3: Well, I would agree with Keith. I think our, our main concern of teachers, administrators, school board members are the safety of the kids so that they can come in and feel safe. Um, and, and I think part of that is creating an environment where they feel safe to tell teachers or administrators if they know of someone who has who has threatened the school or who has a gun at school or or in the car or you know at home and is planning things or whatever um so i think i think that's important to create too. um the you know just from a legal perspective we do have to consider the students rights you know they they don't you know, shed them at the, at the schoolhouse doors, as the Supreme Court has said, they, you know, they still have rights. Now, they may be reduced a little. They're, they're not the rights that we have as adults, but they still have those rights. So we need to to look at that as far as, you know, especially search and seizure rights and, and free speech rights and, and that kind of thing. So um, I think the school boards have um, a, a difficult task in that there's a lot of issues they have to consider um unfortunately, well, i shouldn't say unfortunately, but uh, the safety of the students are are just one of the things they have to look at you know they have students, they have staff, they have you know the community, <laughs> and they have people coming into the building and they have events you know so it's what do we do with those things do we do we um you know it's the governor um program for the handheld metal detectors, you know, he's, that started in July, and I think they'll probably de- be delivered by the end of next week, I believe. And so, you know what do we do with that? I mean, that's just one of the solutions. That's not the whole solution to this issue. But what do we do? With, you know, do we use them at every event? Do we use them, you know, whenever the kids come to school? Or do we just use them when we have reasonable suspicion that someone might have a gun? So, you know, there's all kinds of, of legal issues to do that. One thing I do want to point out, and and this is kind of more of a personal thing with me than <laughs> probably a legal thing. But one of one of the issues is, I think we tend to look at at the shooting and and how to prov- how what do we do after that happens but i want to go back and let's look at what do we do at the beginning i mean these children or these people you know sometimes it's adults who come back there's a reason they're doing this there's you know it's you know they were bullied they have some mental health issues and all that so i mean i i don't well making the school building safe is a great idea <laughs> let's also look at what are we doing with mental health? What are we doing to help these kids at the beginning so that they don't get to that point? And um, there are some, and I think Adam can speak to this a little bit better, um, and I believe it's called the Behavioral, Social, Emotional, and Mental Health of Students Plan. Adam, did I get that right? I, that um, the DOE is working on to help schools, not only with the school safety plan that that's going to come down, but also to... Help schools in you know increasing counseling efforts or mental health efforts, so that they can they can find and find these issues before they get to the point of a school shooting or whatever so. I want to ask you all just
4: a little Mm -hmm. bit more about the metal detector one. So that was Mm -hmm. the program Governor Holcomb announced. I think Mm -hmm. it's one per every 250 students you could apply for. And Mm -hmm. MCCSC here has not decided if they're going to, but I know Brown County, Columbus, Mm -hmm. a lot of schools have. Um, So I I guess more than anything, just your reaction to that. And, yeah, if we are focusing on the Mm -hmm. right thing by putting these wands in schools and i know all the schools we've talked to we we requested them but we don't really know how <laughs> we're going to use them yet yeah. so um,
2: i think we need to focus on making sure that locals have control over building the best plan for their local mm-hmm. community yeah. when you look at indiana as a whole We have schools that are remote and rural, Mm -hmm. and we have some very urban schools and everything in between. And to think that we could say this plan is the best way to use these metal detectors is going to work in every situation. I I don't think that's the the best way to to handle this. So I think we need to allow the local communities, the local school boards, and, and, and the community members there to make the best decisions. In some of these areas, as Julie said, some of these school facilities are the community's facilities. Mm-hmm. In all situations they are, but some areas they really rely upon the field house and cafeteria. Yeah, it's like a community
3: center Absolutely. You know, in a lot of these areas.
2: So. And so we're, we need that control so they can can assess. We use these at school, but there are other events where they may be needed there as well. And so we don 't want to just pigeonhole everything mm-hmm. in such a way that um, that we overlook something along the way yeah. uh, and to julie 's point i i can 't agree more that the the ones are almost a reaction to what 's happened, mm-hmm. and we would we agree that we need to be proactive to prevent any situation where we are then saying, "Thank goodness, we had a metal detector." Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. I would rather we just don't ever have a problem to begin with.
4: <laughs> right. Adam, has the DOE? Did have you been working with the governor on this program?
1: Well, one of the things that we have been working on, which I think I know, Keith and Julie hit on big time, which is very important, mm-hmm. is the guidance towards. What happens when you get those detectors? Because they're right. I mean, students have rights, and we respect those rights, and we want to ensure that students know they have those rights. And you know, Julie hit the nail on the head when she said, you know, they don't end at the door, and they don't. Um, and so, I know that immediately. You know, when Holcomb announced those metal detector program, one of the things we did was get with schools and let them know, hey, okay, you know, make sure you're working with your local mm-hmm. attorneys. Make sure that. You know, you guys are talking about, you know, the protocols that, you know, regarding how do you use these metal detectors, regarding proper search and seizure practices, you know, what if a weapon is found, um, and making sure that, you know, at the same time, and one of the important things that Keith hit on early on in this conversation was, you know, how do we sort of merge that making students feel safe, but also making them feel like they're not walking into, Mm -hmm. you know, a prison. You know, how do they? We make them feel that you know this is still a school, this is still a mm-hmm. community, this is still a a free and open environment. But at the same time, we are doing everything possible to make sure that you are safe while you're here. Yeah.
3: Julie, <laughs> yeah, do you worry about misuse or profiling? Yeah. The yes, I mean, and just a. Um, piggyback a little bit on Adam's point, ISBA did send out some sample policies and some guidance on the use of the metal detectors. Um, you know, we knew we had some time before they were going to get them, but we thought, you know, you, school's starting, you need to start to <laughs> look at this stuff. And, you know, there's really basically two ways to do it, is that, you know, use them just for a reasonable search. Of course, you have to know that earth think that they have something metal, because obviously, they're not going to pick up drugs or anything like that. <laughs> but, but um, so, so and I know of some schools who have said, I think that's how we're going to use them, at least to begin with. Um, and then there are what we call these administrative searches, which the administrative searches are very similar to what we're used to in the airport or going into a federal building courthouse, you know, you walk through the metal detector, and if it buzzes, then you get wanted in that. Um, and with respect to schools, what the courts have said is basically that has to be done on a random basis. You know, it can't be like every kid or – or, um, um, you know, you can't pick out a kid. And just because you think, you still have to have the reasonable suspicion. And – the amazing thing was is that the, there's only about four or five cases and they're from the early 2000s late 1990s on use of metal detectors in schools so, which really surprised me when I started researching because I've you know I would thought there would have been more but so I guess that tells me either schools haven't been using them or they've been using them and not been a big problem I'm sure like I think LA um, school district has has used them and maybe probably some of the other bigger cities but over over the whole country, I don't think they're in that much use. Um, so, yeah, we, um, you know, we do worry about, um, you know, the, the local administrator knows the kids the best. And, you know, some kids have a history of, of being troublemakers or bullies or... You know, hunters or what? You know, whatever. And um, so they may tend to, you know, kind of look at those kids with an extra special eye, or and and kind of watch them more so than they do other kids. And and um, or they may, you know, they maybe they watch the the male students more than they do the female students. You know, so it, yeah, we ha- you have to be we have to be cognizant of that, and we try and point that out to them. You know, when when they do call in or when we are doing. Um, training on this, so um, and I would agree with Keith 's point I think you know what 's going to work in an i p s school is not going to work in in um, Salem or you know some of the other smaller places around so i do i agree with you, I think we need um to, I, I'm, I'm glad the governor made it available. It's nice to kind of get something for free for once but for schools, but I think we do need to be, be um, cognizant that it has to be a local decision how they used and not try and all of a sudden um, you know put some parameters on that that, may, that aren't workable locally. so I'm, I'm interested to see what the school safety report says because um, just from a uh, legislative perspective to see how that's going to maybe affect our local um, our local control I want to pivot just a bit we have mm-hmm. a
4: Twitter question from mm-hmm. Rob Rankin and Rob says I'm a former elementary school music teacher and had mm-hmm. to lead a through K-1 class through a lockdown drill mm-hmm. how does one responsibly go about doing this there was a controversy in the last few months in which a school came up with a song to teach what to do mm-hmm. I think this is interesting the difference yeah. in how you talk about this when you're looking at the different age groups mm-hmm. Right. All right, all right.
2: Uh, well, thank you for teaching music. That's my background <laughs> as well. Um, but I think we we do have to teach children how to be safe in any type of situation. And we've, you know, I've been with students many times in severe weather. And we've been in the duck and cover position, and nerves are at a very high level at that point. We know what storms can be like in Indiana. And this is another situation where we have to make sure that the students are trained in what to do, but in such a way that they don't panic. Mm -hmm. And I think each community, this is why local control is so important. What is what is the best way to reach your students and, and the way that you go about this, that they are going to be able to do everything they need to do safely, but without panicking in a way that, um, that maybe um, causes a student trauma? To, yeah, trauma. Yes.
3: Yeah. And maybe even affects the, the safety drill or, or the evacuation, too. But um, I know one time I was given a presentation in a school in southern Indiana, and there was a, a tornado. Uh, morning. I mean, it was real. It wasn't a drill, <laughs> and and I was going out in the hallway to go to the cover, and um, it was in an elementary building, and there were there were first graders, and they were coming through, and they were just in tears, you know, and the, and the poor teachers trying to to move them along, but also calm them down. So it it is a difficult position when they're younger students. Um, Absolutely, and but I think the drills are important, and um, you know, they are many of them are required by law, and I think. Uh, The more we put in – tell the kids how to react in those situations, maybe the less fear they will have and will know how to react almost instinctively when it does actually happen.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that a lockdown could occur at a school – if there is a domestic dispute mm-hmm. in within a perimeter of a of a school or
3: even so, bank robbery or absolutely. something
2: absolutely yeah. right. so the students may not be in immediate danger as an intruder in the building but that could happen because of what has happened outside of the school building, but within that perimeter. Mm -hmm. So helping to to calm the students' nerves in those situations, trying to keep everything as orderly as possible, uh, I think that's important. But it also begins with each school district and then that school faculty. Really looking at the sc- at the student personnel what 's the best way, taking a look at the building, law enforcement, uh, I know my school district is Evansville. they play a vital role in helping us look at the the facility itself so where are where are the best places to be where are, Where are the worst places to be, and that we just learn to work within that facility to help keep keep kids safe I,
4: I want to ask Adam does the does the state require that schools have these sort of active shooter drills, or like like the because the state does require it for fire and tornado mm-hmm. and things like that? Correct. Yep, it,
1: it does absolutely. And so the statute states that each school each semester is to required to practice at least one man-made occurrence drill. Uh, and the reason why we it's called man-made is that way that leaves room for the districts to choose whether they want to practice lockdown whether they want to practice active shooter, um, uh, whether they want to practice bomb threat. So any one of those uh, can be practiced. And yes, each school is supposed to practice that each semester.
0: All right. We have uh, sped through our first half of the program today, uh, so we're going to take a short break. We're talking about school safety on Noon Edition today. If you want to join us for the second half, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us a question, news at indianapublicmedia.org, or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
5: From the Milton Metz Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
0: Welcome back to uh, Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of The Herald-Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, who is the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about school safety today on Noon Edition, and we have three guests with us. Keith Gamble, the Vice President of the Indiana State Teachers Association, and Julie Slavins, the Staff Attorney for the Indiana School Boards Association, are both here in the studio, and also Adam Baker, the Press Secretary at the Indiana Department of Education is joining us by phone if you have questions or comments give us a call at 812-855-0811 in bloomington or toll free at 1-877-285-9348 you can also find us news at indianapublicmedia.org if you want to send us a question or you can find us on twitter at noon edition and we're going to go right to the phones we have a phone call Mm -hmm. from nick who's a grad student at iu Mm
3: -hmm.
0: or somewhere i don't it doesn't say iu necessarily but (laughs) nick go ahead yeah uh it is i u okay. um
1: and i was I was just looking to hear uh, perspectives often with the uh school safety um one of the perspectives that goes over overlooked and students' right is uh the right right to bear arms as far as the uh, students are concerned and i was just curious to hear your perspective on uh whether or not there's any uh any route or possibility for that um in a in a reasonable framework for people who have received or demonstrated adequate training in that regard, uh, something that makes me feel comfortable. And I'd just love to hear your perspective. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. you.
3: Well, Nick, there is a statute in Indiana that prohibits students from having firearms and destructive devices on school property. That is an expellable offense. Um, And it's not just while they're in school. It's a 24-7, 365-day prohibition. So from a school perspective, they can't bring them on. um, Now, adults can. We can't prohibit adults from bringing them on to school, but it is a crime to bring a gun on to school unless you have been unless you're a police officer or authorized by the school board to do that. So, I mean, it's kind of weird because you've got civil laws and you've got the criminal laws, so it it can be very confusing. Um, I'm not aware, I'm not a firearms or gun permit expert, but in In looking at the statutes a few years back, I'm not aware that someone under 18 can get a permit. Um, But the permit, in my understanding, is a permit to conceal carry. It's not necessarily just to have a gun. Um, So I'm not quite familiar, um, unfortunately, with what is required for uh, someone under 18. And and maybe there's something, if you're between 16 and 18, there may be a law that allows that. But I'm not familiar with those. So I'm sorry, Nick, I can't... um, Speak to those, but as far as being on school, they are not to have to have guns. I, I wonder, if Nick property. was maybe talking about at a university too, since he was a grad student. Well, that, yeah, so that yeah. could be. Yeah, well, yeah, and obviously, yeah, if they're on the university campus, they're over eighteen, so they're they're are going to have to fulfill the requirements of of a gun permit or or um, buying a gun or whatever. I I I think the gun permits are only certain types of firearms. Like, I think the hunting rifles and all that aren't... There, there's... I mean, you can just go in and buy one if you're over a certain age. But um, I think for the gun permit, it's, a, there, it's just different types or sizes of firearms.
2: Law enforcement has been pretty clear that by having more guns in school, that we are actually less safe. When law enforcement comes in because of an active shooter... They are trained for whoever they see that has a gun. They Mm -hmm. do not have time Mm -hmm. to make a decision. Is this a good person with a gun or is this the bad person with a gun? So if we have random students or random employees roaming around a school facility with a gun and law enforcement comes in Mm -hmm. to disarm a shooter they are going to assume anyone with the gun is the shooter.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I read once, uh, one of the Parkland teachers after that happened um, said, well, when I was in the classroom with my kids and the, they weren't in the building where the actual shooter was, but they still had locked down all the buildings. And when the police officer uh-huh. came in, um, he came in with his rifle pointed right at them. So she said, what would have happened if I had a firearm and I pulled it and I was pointing it at him? You know, there, he doesn't know that I'm a teacher. You know, he doesn't know me from Adam. And so it's not a good situation. Plus, also think of this. You, you know, the students, especially like in middle school or high school, know that the principal has a gun in their desk or a teacher. Their teacher has a gun in their desk or their purse or whatever. You don't. You don't think there might be a time where a kid will try and find that gun? <laughs> and maybe it's just for fun, but still, you know, its I, I would agree. I, I would not be in favor of arming teachers I know or there, even administrators. Yeah, there are a couple
4: of schools in Indiana that do, and we've done mm-hmm. some reporting in Jay County, where mm-hmm. they have guns locked in safes throughout the schools, mm-hmm. and then people who pass a mental mm-hmm. competency exam can right. get access. And I think... Um, and hopefully it, they require well, training too. People or. with training
2: are granted access. Right. That but they're in the building which means that if someone wants to get to them they're not going to stop until they get there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I mean we have to we yeah. just have to recognize that okay. if they're there someone who shouldn't get them will try.
4: I think one of the arguments there is that doesn't the typical active shooter situation isn't it between two and four minutes or something? Mm-hmm. So,
3: yeah. well, right, and so okay, it's locked in a safe in the principal's office. I mean, are you going to have time to go and get that gun be- before the police arrive, or, or to you know? Um, and really, the principal's job is to keep the kids safe, not to gun down the active shooter. (laughs) So, I mean, there's some... I mean, I I understand where they're coming from. But again, I think it's kind of like what we talked about. It's, you know, we're looking at the reaction. We we need to be... You know, we need to make these decisions in a calm, you know, manner and and go through all the scenarios. I, you know, in our office, when attorneys talk about things, we take it to the extreme. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And then... You know, kind of go back from there. Okay, well, then how do we address that? So I think, um, well, you know, it's it, in all likelihood it's not going to happen, but I think you have to plan for that possibility. And then is that a good idea given that could be the possibility? So,
0: Adam from the, you know, Adam Baker from the Indiana Department of Education, has uh, the department made any kind of uh, comments or statements about the idea of arming teachers?
1: Yeah, we don't think that that's a good thing either. Um, You know, I definitely, I think Keith and Julie both touched on some excellent points as far as, you know, oversaturating the environment with weapons. And you're right, in a real-time situation, uh, you know, our security, our officers, uh, you know, what are their thoughts? And when Mm -hmm. they come in, you know, are they aiming at the wrong person? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly in a moment's notice, there's not time to necessarily identify yourself. And, um, you know, I think with some We kind of touched on it early on. I'd kind of like it possible to bring the conversation back to, you know, most times in school safety, and I think Keith mentioned this, that our conversation always turns to, well, how do we react better Mm -hmm. when I think we need to start talking about that proactive response. And, you know, you're right. Uh, You know, so the Indiana School Safety Academy that's been in existence for, you know, 20 years Mm -hmm. here in Indiana since, you know, essentially Columbine, And it's almost as if we've spent the last 20 years securing our schools, but now we need to turn that attention, I think, towards our students. And what are we doing proactively to reach them? And what sort of mental and behavioral support are we offering them? Um, You know, and I think that that's, we're going to see more success in, down that line when we form those relationships with those children and when we start to reach mm-hmm. them on a one-on-one basis
4: with the yeah. safety academy. Yeah, who who's the training for with the safety academy? And can you just tell us a little bit about what about yeah. what that entails, yeah. Adam?
1: Absolutely. So um, in Indiana, Indiana is one of only two states that has a law on the books, New mm-hmm. Jersey being the other, that says that each district must have at least one. School safety academy specialist. Um, What this means is, this is an individual that is has been to the academy. So their initial training is a five day training, and then every year it's a two day advanced training. There is no Mm -hmm. cost to the state. I mean, to the school, it's built into the budget itself. Um, And what's interesting is when you look at the law being that there should you know be at least one per district, um, and depending on how you define district, whether it's you know charter and whatnot, we Mm -hmm. have about three hundred to three hundred and fifty districts. We have about 2400 school safety specialists uh-huh. so i mean i think that just speaks to how important districts take safety and i mean and, and a school safety specialist can be anybody from a principal to mm-hmm. a teacher to a custodian to a football coach uh, dr mccormick herself as a school safety specialist and she was one of those specialists that were in her district when mm-hmm. she served in yorktown yeah.
0: All right. If you want to join our program about school safety, uh, we'd love to hear from you. 812 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us a message at news at or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Julie, do you want to add something?
3: Yeah, I just was also going to piggyback on what Abaddon said. With um, respect to the school safety um, specialists, they, it is a wonderful program. I've, I've presented at it in, in years past. And um, the other issue is also the – the statute talks about every school has to have a school safety plan that has to be reviewed every year. You know, it has to be added to. I think this past legislation, or even maybe in twenty seventeen, we've added some elements to that 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 um, are required now, including like the active shooting. and That that's um, that's why I do hope, and Adam can probably speak to this, that the school safety report also addresses the mental health um, services that we provide our kids. Because I mean you know, treating the symptoms is not, as we all know, is not, I mean, it's going to help immediately. But to address the problem, we need to to treat the disease. And I think we're overlooking that. It's a big, I know it's a big ticket item, um, (laughs) but it is very important. We have school counselors, but they're doing, they're doing schedules, you know, they, and then at the elementary level, we hardly have any, you know, we're very few. And I think we need, you know, that, and that's probably where it needs to start, you know, because that's probably where a lot of these issues start. So I, I'm hoping the school safety report will will address that issue as well as some other issues we do need to address. So I don't know if Adam can speak to that or not.
1: Well, yeah. I would say as far as the mental health support, I mean, absolutely, to go back to that. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that we've heard from districts, uh, countless districts as we go across the state, is, you know, there's money available in school safety funds. But the money is limited to equipment and personnel and not personnel as far as you know mental health and so one of the things we've heard from districts is that's exactly where we want to put money Mm -hmm. you know is there a way to open those funds up so that they can be used um it's one of the biggest pushes that we've made in fact it was last year that dr mccormick uh wrote a letter to the state and the uh, u.s delegation of legislators to request that more funds you know are geared towards mental health support so it absolutely is a key component, um, and it's something that we definitely want to see. And I mean, we've heard it firsthand from districts. I mean, they want, you know, to to open those resources up for their children as well.
0: Well, I want to ask about the uh, the impact all this is having on on students in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, I know it's a broad topic, but just <laughs> if you could could give us sort of of an answer, a lot of, a lot of people listening to the show are probably probably didn't have to deal with a lot of these issues when they were going through school so, so Keith, you know for the, I guess I 'll go to you first for representing the Indiana State Teachers Association.
2: One issue that is becoming a problem is for new facilities that are being built and those that uh, have gone through major renovations recently there are safety. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elements built into the building that the district tries to be a little tight-lipped about, and that is for the security of that facility. We've we've had a mm-hmm. couple of of schools where students have said, "Please do not say the name of our school when reporting that we are one of the safest in the nation," because that sets us yeah. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We become a more of a target in that situation so we have to understand that as as they work to build safer schools that we don't then inadvertently set them up uh, for a tragic situation mm-hmm. um, but i i do think certainly i applaud the the superintendent in her efforts to work on mm-hmm. greater access to to mental health for our students uh, i think the general public sometimes thinks, well, we know that there are six or eight high school counselors, but we don't look at you know the workload that they have and their, their training. We need people who are really focused in – whose training has been on students and student mental health and that that is the focus of their work throughout the day so that we can get those resources to it. The teachers need to be concentrating on their subject matter mm-hmm. – and, and then know if I see a student struggling or I think maybe needs help, I know that I can get them to the right person for that, for that help and uh, create a safer environment.
3: Yeah, I think – and to piggyback on that, you know, we do now have a requirement for suicide training um, and awareness, not just – you know, so – and hopefully if some of the materials I have seen that that training includes – at the beginning the first signs of mental health or or suicidal thoughts so that that teachers can recognize that and get get the student to the right people for help um, i um i think as far as the stu- some of the students i think they i think we are seeing some students who are not really scared to go to school cuz i think they most people think their school is a safe place i mean fortunately in indiana yes we did have the shooting in, in noblesville but no one was killed thank god but um so that that is an awareness it is hitting closer to home you know we have had some incidences where kids were you know waiting outside of school for kids to come out or or you know stuff like so we've had a few of those incidents so it it is there and i i think there it's mixed between well i've always thought of my school as a safe place but what if it's not and you know i think there's probably some issues of they're looking at okay well what kid is about ready to, you mm-hmm. know, um, even though they know their students. But some of the bigger schools, you know, there, uh, a lot of you know, kids don't know each other, so it's. Uh, I think there is some fear, but I don't, I don't know it's it's a at a crisis level yet. But but I, you know, it's I, interesting. Be there.
0: We've had we had some high school kids on at the end of last year, and mm-hmm. what you just said. I remember one of the students saying that that, that b- never before had she sort of looked around her school and thought, hmm, wonder about that guy or mm-hmm. that. That yeah. girl, yeah. Know, so,
2: and many folks in Indiana, especially rural Indiana, will will think back if if they're, i you know, will be fifty five. I remember deer hunting season. Mm-hmm. We had folks that I went to school with that went deer hunting either right before they came to school or right after. We didn't think anything about it. So, how was it that, you know, when you look back, it is about getting back to. Where, what is this breaking point for a child that they make such a tragic decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how can we get to that to get to them before they break and, and really then make a decision that Forever changes their life and the lives of of everyone in that community. Well,
3: and some of the issues there may be social. I mean, we've changed. You know, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I knew everybody, and you know, I didn't get in trouble at school because I didn't want my parents knowing about it because I, it would be worse at home than staying at school and getting punished. So, you know, we all knew each other. We knew, you know, we knew maybe even their grandparents and aunts and uncles. So I think we had a, a better sense of who people were and an interaction with people, and maybe could spot things earlier and say, "Hey, you know, what's up with this or whatever." I, we, I don't think we have that now um even in some of the rural schools i mean you know i you know you see kids on on their phones and they're probably texting people who are five feet away from them you know so i think um and and not you know i mean not i'm not putting down technology but i think it is maybe um feeding some of these issues that that maybe you know we don't see that breaking point or we don't see them getting to that breaking point sooner than what we did when we were you know 20, 30 years ago.
2: And I think why you see the reaction so strong from high school students especially is because of what you said about technology, how interconnected these students are. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, their marching band is competitive with, with marching bands in Indiana because it's on the national circuit. Mm-hmm. So when uh, students from from schools know we have competed, we've stood on the same field with you in marching band, Mm -hmm. they have a greater connection to those students now than they ever did before. So they take that personally. Even if it wasn't their school, they take that personally. And so when you see the outcry from high school students saying, we have to do better, they mean it, mm-hmm. and and they're they're prepared to tell us if we as adults do not do the, what's right for them, then they're going to they're going to rise up and make sure that it happens, mm-hmm. um, and and they recognize that that more guns uh, is not the answer. They recognize that that there are safety issues we need mm-hmm. to take place, but th- but that students are hurting and we need attention for them. From your perspective, Keith, how how will they rise up? Will they go to the voting? Will, will they vote so. well, we'll begin to find out in november yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, right. if if any indication for the way that they are mobilizing um you know it's a different generation i'm not used to that it's not how I was raised
3: right. well uh, and i I think you know to you know there's there can be good that comes out of tragedy, and I think with parkland um I mean, I wish it would have happened earlier with Columbine or whatever. But I think maybe this will mobilize that age group to be more active, you know, whether it's boating, whether it's, it's you know, pushing for mental health help and, and or whether they go into mental health. And, and you know, I because I think that generation kind of had a malaise there for a while and they were just kind of going along and, and not really worrying about anything outside of their own their own world. Um, and and I I just hope that, yeah, that it would be a way. I know um, they – hopefully there's been an increase in voter registration in that age group and that. And I um, I hope that does – you know, that's one of the positives that we have out of these tragedies is that it does help um, the young people to be more active in, in addressing these issues.
0: All right. We just have a few minutes to go in the program. we got a, maybe six or seven minutes to go. So if okay. you want to give us a call – 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Or you can still send us a note, news at indiana org.
4: So I'm wondering, coming off of Noblesville and then Parkland, do you feel like we're better prepared this school year?
2: Well, I, I think it's certainly on folks' minds. Mm-hmm. And um, I certainly hope that parents – and families are talking with their with their students and saying, if you recognize something, if, if someone says something, please tell us or mm-hmm. tell your teacher, tell the bus driver, mm-hmm. don't don't live in fear and hold that in. Or mm-hmm. don't think of yourself as being a snitch if if you hear of something. So I hope at home mm-hmm. there they are being okay. surrounded with an atmosphere that you have to tell. You -hmm. you know, it's very important. And you may be saving not just your life, but the lives of your friends and a student who may make a tragic decision.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to keep in mind the shooters here, too. They're they're. I mean, yes, what they've done is terrible, but they're there is a reason for it and i you know i think it may in most cases it went back to some kind of mental mental health issue before i think we i think generally yes we are i think you know unfortunately with every shooting we have learned something and and schools have have taken action to address those issues um you know one of the things you know that we learned like in columbine and some of the other ones were you know to start these drills to figure out what are we going to do with kids when we have these active shooters and that literally helped Noblesville, you know, because they had just had their training, I think, a week or two before. And so the teacher knew what to do, the kids knew what to do, and I, I, it helped. Um, the problem is these active the shootings have kind of all been different. I mean, some have been students who were currently going, you know, with Parkland, it was a former student who was disgruntled and was kind of knew the system and coming. So, you know, again, this the principals and administrators have to think, okay, who, <laughs> you know, how how will it happen in our... In our community, I mean, and and, you know, it could also be a member of a community who comes in if you know if a parent is upset, and that hopefully they would not do that. And and, you know, I'm not, but you just you know, so they there's there's myriad of people out there that's a possibility of of how these make an example of one thing
2: that has changed is how we participate in fire drills now. Mm -hmm. It used to be the the bell rang, the -hmm. the fire bell rang and you immediately evacuated the school. Now you, the bell rings, and then you'll wait for an announcement mm-hmm. to make sure, because they were finding, unfortunately now the word soft target has become used in schools, but because they know if the fire alarm goes and you start evacuating mm-hmm. a building, you have a lot of access and you have everyone out of there. So there are things that, as uh, was said. We learn through the the process, mm-hmm. and uh, we begin to make uh, adjustments as necessary for this yeah. for the sake of our our yeah. entire community. And
3: you mentioned Keith earlier that when we build new buildings, we have built-in safety. And and but I think we're also finding that that even with current buildings, we can put in bulletproof doors or windows and that. And and we're starting to see that. And and you know, um, you know, years ago. You know, if you had 20 entrances to a high school, they were all unlocked, and anybody could come in and out. Now, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. We have one entrance that you go in, and and you might be able to get out, but there's it's locked to get in, you know, the other entrances. So, um, you know, I think we have seen things over the years evolve, and, and it, unfortunately – you know, there is no 100 percent guarantee that a shooting is not going to happen. But, when, you know, we can take take measures to reduce the risk. A, an eight-year-old
2: who sees an adult struggling outside a door that looks like they just need help to mm-hmm. get in, you're talking about an eight-year-old child mm-hmm. who doesn't think – Maybe I shouldn't. You know, they they think. Well, maybe this is just a mom coming in for with cupcakes. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Adam, yeah. Adam, I want to ask you because uh, mm-hmm. with the legislative legislative session approaching and it is a budget year, what are the DOE's legislative priorities and what you're hoping to get to get funding for?
1: Absolutely. Well, so I can tell you that we are still putting those all together, um, but one of our biggest pushes will be for opening that funding to ensure that schools have, you know, the mental health support. You know, I think Julie brought up a very important point a little bit ago about, you know, back in the day when schools were the epicenter um, of, you know, just the hub of the community where people met, where everybody knew each other, even in some of your larger districts. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just your rural district. And I can tell you that we've seen that move with some of our districts around the state. And we are seeing that move with districts coming and communities coming back together um, and understanding that it sort of does take a village. And the more people that we involve in the communication, we involve in the conversation, the more, you know, sort of eyes on the field we have, the more that we kind of come back together um, as a community, the more that not only are we able to keep, you know, focus on problems that are to come, but the more that we're able to also, you know, uh, keep those relationships with students and keep those relationships uh, open so that kids understand that, you know, we do love, we do care for you. You know, there is somebody here for you uh, and so on.
3: Yeah. I think one of the things that these, unfortunately, well, I mean, it's fortunate it is happening, but unfortunately it had tragic uh, a tragedy had to happen for this to happen is for um, community entities to work together. Schools are working together with police, police are working, you know, in some communities, the mental health, the hospitals and all that, they're, they're all kind of working together, you know, for the whole health. I mean, schools were set up to educate students. They weren't set up to, you know, take care of their mental health and all that. But that role is expanding. But yet they are bringing in the community, and it is more of a community effort. So they're, it's not isolated. And I think Absolutely. in that case, you know, as Adam pointed out, I think we will hopefully be able to find these it, the issues beforehand and take care of them.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that will be important with the, with the funding is to, to see, are, are we putting it towards shiny gadgets in the hopes that we don't ever have to use them, or are we funding in a way that is going to help children?
0: Mm-hmm. All right. One last word from Adam. When do you expect the sa- school safety report to be released?
1: Uh, any moment now. Any moment uh, now. Okay. It could be later today. be early next week. Okay. Um, okay great. We're just waiting on the governor's office.
0: All right. I want to thank you all for being here. Adam Baker, from, who's joined us from Indianapolis, as well as Keith Gamble and Julie Slavens, who are here in the studio with us. Thanks a lot. It was a great conversation today.
2: Thanks for having for,
0: us. Thank
3: you. That's for one. for nice. producer
0: Patrick McGurr, engineer uh, Mike Pashkash, and Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. We
3: just